Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Bible with you, whether it's on your phone, perhaps on a tablet nearby, or even you got one with pages. I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah. I love a line that even Pastor Sean says from time to time. In my Bible, it's on page 519. So I don't know what page it's on in your Bible, but you should turn. But we are in Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet who speaks so often on behalf of God to God's people. And There are many scriptures that we come in contact in the book of Isaiah, especially read during this portion of the year, because he is prophetically proclaiming that there's going to come a king one day who will make sense of everything, who will fix everything. And he obviously is, if if you're like you and me, we know the end of the story, we know how it works, we know the answer is Jesus. It's like watching the movie Titanic with people, and you're like, we know it's going to sink again. But when it comes to this story, when we read Isaiah, it's hard for you and for me in this season, if we have the New Testament portion of our understanding of God and his interaction with humanity, that we know how Jesus eventually comes to the story. But in this season of Advent, it's helpful for us to begin with a little bit of yearning from the past. So on this first Sunday of Advent, it's Isaiah 64 where we're at. And a little bit of lay of the land for you. And there's only going to be nine verses that I will read in today's passage, and we'll kind of work our way through them with what the prophet is saying. But he also gives us clues in some of the verses that surround it. So outside those, just those nine, he's helping us understand that things aren't good. The kingdom has been destroyed. Even the main city of Jerusalem lies in ruins. And that happened on two occasions for the people of God back in 722 and 586 BC. Remember BC or BCE for those of you who understand your dating system in history, history class. Before the common era, before Christ, a long time ago, things weren't great. And Isaiah the prophet is writing to the people on behalf of God. And I love how Isaiah writes, but it's confusing. And I'll be really frank with you, there are moments for me that I need other parts of Scripture to be more helpful to me or a little bit um, uh, easy, easily uh, understood when it comes to, well, what am I supposed to do with my life? It's easy for us to take portions of Scripture that have a little bit more imperative and uh, commands, if you will, like, hey, be kind to your neighbor. Like, that's a given. We understand what that looks like. We like those kind of commands. Or be slow to anger, quick to forgive. I like those, but it's hard for us at times to come across a piece of writing like Isaiah, and there are moments for him where we get what he's saying, but he uses a little bit more of a poetic language in this portion of his writing that for us, we probably have to read a little slower than usual. So the setting of the day is things aren't great for the people of God, and they're trying to do their best to make sense of it all, and they're understanding, oh, where are you, God, in everything? But Isaiah, in his poetic language of this chapter particularly, is almost putting God on trial. And so I want you to clue into that. For the first four verses, Isaiah is just saying really good things about what God did in the past. And then verse 5, everything switches. And Isaiah says something to God 
and puts him on the hot seat, puts God on the hot seat, which if you're like me, that's what I want to do to God sometimes. I know we're supposed to think all these nice things about God, but there are times when I get frustrated. Why is it that you haven't shown up in a particular way? Why is it that you haven't answered that prayer? And if you've asked those questions, then you find yourself in good company when we come across Isaiah. It wouldn't be all too unfamiliar to imagine this conversation that Isaiah is having with God. Like you would find him at a coffee shop or perhaps in line at that store waiting to buy something. I know we haven't been going to stores a lot lately, but trying to speak through the masks that you're wearing and everything beyond in this world that we're in today. You can imagine Isaiah and God talking and Isaiah expressing his frustration. And here's the setting of the day. Isaiah 64 in the first nine verses. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is a passage I have sat with all week, most of the week. It was Thanksgiving week. There were days that I didn't pick this up, but it has sat with me since I read it at the beginning of the week, knowing this is the passage for us today. Because if you're like me, the questions that I have to God are probably the same questions that you have to God. It's easy for us to look back into the past and even read portions of Scripture where we are amazed at how God does things, how he even puts the world into motion. And he saves and rescues his people time and time again. Just think of it. Like, that's what he does. If you go back all the way to the book of Genesis, and there's a situation that we encounter in the first two chapters where it's not good for the man to be alone, and God rescues the situation by sending a woman. He doesn't fit, send someone just to like go clean the man's socks or do the laundry, do the dishes. He sends a rescuer. That's what Eve does in the situation. So you look back in this history, you're like, oh, God, I see how you rescued back then. That's really cool. Good job. Or you fast forward the timeline a little bit, you hear about the stories of Abraham or even the stories of Moses, where the people had been in isolation, 
in desperation in slavery for 400 plus years. And God says, oh, I'm going to go send my prophet Moses. And he's going to rescue the people. And he gets them out of Egypt, crosses the Red Sea, into the wilderness, eventually gets them to the promised land. You think about the stories of Joshua and Caleb. You think about the other Old Testament stories that are bigger than life, the stories of David and Goliath, how God continues to rescue his, rescue his people time and time again. And then you get to the end of the Old Testament, and it's as if, and historians will notice this, it goes silent for about 400 years until Jesus shows up. This story that we will put on repeat at this time of the year because we celebrate his birth at this time of Christmas. And God rescues the situation by sending his son. So we look back on history and the stories that have been told, and we get really frustrated at times. You're like, God, you did all those things back then. When are you going to do things now? And that's exactly where we find Isaiah. Because Isaiah is frustrated on behalf of the people around him. We are aware of what you have done in the past. That's why he starts things off with, oh God, would you rend the heavens? Would you break open the heavens and come down yet again and fix things? Would you come down in such a way where the water begins to boil at your presence because it's too holy for us to be aware? Would you yet again come down and cause the earth to shake? But God, it's as if you have turned your face to us and we continue to wallow in our sin. And then Isaiah turns the posture and puts God on the hot seat and says to him, you have forgotten us. Yes, we are the clay in your hands as the potter, but there is still work to be done and we need you to do that yet again. God, would you still do that thing that you did way back then? Would you do it today? It's as if, Isaiah is talking 2020 language, right? Because there's a sense for us that this is a, a year like none other. We don't even know what 2021 holds, but there's every single uh, one of us has a bit of hope. Like, it's got to be better than this year, right? I hope. God, would you come and fix the situation? But again, we get frustrated at times because God doesn't always fix the things in our life. He doesn't always fix what's before us, and we have to come to grips with that question. Does that mean God doesn't exist, or does that mean that God is just aloof and silent and doesn't want to deal with us? So the reason that we put on repeat the story of Advent and the coming of Christ is because we need to be reminded of not just what God has done in the past, but ultimately what God is going to continue to do in the future. There are people that I have in my life that even this past week, there have been storylines, the people that are affected greatly at this time of year. Two weeks ago, I got a, got a text from a friend who lives on the East Coast, and she's been pregnant for months, and they just got word that there's no longer a heartbeat and had to deliver just before Thanksgiving a stillborn. And she's asking me questions over text thousands of miles away. Where's God? And I'm trying to say things like, if I can be real honest, I don't know. I'm frustrated as, as much as you are. Probably you're frustrated way more than I am. And this is what you and I deal with on a daily basis when we know that real life comes in contact with God's story and we try to make sense of it and reconcile it. Because we've heard stories about how God has done things in the past. We're like, God, would you do it again? 
and we make light and we make jokes about how the holidays is the time where you can't wait to get together with your family and have all those conversations around the dinner table that could go bad, right? And earlier this week, I got a text from another friend who lives in another state, and he's like, hey, I don't know if you've heard this, because I was asking him about his family, and he says, I don't know if you've heard, but another family member has disowned us, so we're no longer welcome at their table. And I asked for details, and it's this kind of stuff that all of us have heard before. When there is funk in the midst of a family relationship, you no longer find yourself welcome at a table. And you're like, God, would you fix that? Would you heal that? Or is it okay for us to just live in brokenness, an unresolved mess? So when I hear the words of Isaiah, who puts God on the hot seat, I hear my words. I'm just as frustrated because I know the stories from the past. I know what God has done. And I want to proclaim them to my kids and say, hey, look at how amazing God is by what he's done in the past. But I also want to show to them, hey, look how God how amazing God is now because of what he's doing. And yes, he is doing a lot. But there are still are times for us, like Isaiah, where we wonder, are you even there? Are you even awake? And we hear what he says in this passage, this brief passage, that actually, if you were to take note, it begins in the previous chapter of 63, and goes until the following chapter of 65, and it's a bit of a lament, where he's lamenting about the way things are. And again, 2020 is a year to lament. There are things that have not gone right. Yes, there are things that have gone right, but there are things that haven't gone right. And we try to make sense of it when we come across words like this, and like, that. it, it can't be that easy, right? It can't just be that trite. when we put our relationship with God on the line, we have a tendency to say, well, when push comes to shove, if you don't do what I say, God, I'm going to shove you out of my life. And I'm here to say, before we get to that point where things look so hopeless and bleak and I'm willing to just part ways with God, I don't want to just live with the nostalgic understanding of God's presence like, oh, God is good because of what he has done. In this season of Advent, if anything is hopeful, I want, to, I want to live with this expectation and this hopeful expectancy that God will still come to fix what's happening. He will still come to be a part of my life that's emerging into his future. There are things on my path ahead of me, just like yours, that we're not sure how it's going to play out or how it's going to work. But we stand in the tension point in this reality of like, we know what God has done in the past and we hope God is going to do something, but that's the confidence that we live in, but it is a tension. And it's a tension that we lean into rather than it's a tension that we lean away from. That I want God to be present yet again. I want him to fix things. I want him to reconcile. And he doesn't answer my prayers more than your prayers just because I'm a pastor. He does care about his people. I can proclaim that with confidence. But when I listen to Isaiah speak, I find a friend. I find a friend who says, oh God, you have been great, but you have been silent. You have turned your face. We don't know where you're at. That's kind of what we feel like in 2020 if we're honest with each other. 
But if we just ended it there, that would be one thing. It would be a little bit depressing. We would throw our hands up in the air and be like, maybe God doesn't really exist. But I love how this passage from the lectionary ends in verses 8 and 9. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This imagery that we are still in the process of being formed and the challenge before me and for you in this Advent season of 2020 is I don't want to just live on the laurels of my past from Advent seasons in 2019, 2018, 2017, and before. My question to you, and to be honest, is the question to me, is how am I allowing God to form me this year? Because if I'm not willing to be formed, I am a dried up piece of clay that God can do nothing with. But if, if, I'm, if I'm that fresh piece of clay that is still in the midst of being formed by the potter's hand, there is hope for where he has taken me and where he is forming me. And so the question for you and for me in 2020 is not what he has done in the past or what he will do in the future. Ultimately, it's that synergy moment in the middle where he's, and I say, what is it that God is in the business of doing for you today? What is he moving and shaking in your life? How is he forming you? If we truly understand that analogy that he is the potter, we are the clay, my question is, is how is he forming you? Are you only willing to be formed by what he's done in the past? Or are you willing to be formed this year? Are you willing to have some of your really rough edges smoothed out by the potter? Are you willing to have those moments where perhaps you're a little rough to the world to be smoothed out by the father? And I don't ask those questions to you or to a camera or to the, the internet. I ask these questions to myself. What is it that God's doing in my life this year? How is he shaping me? That is the question before me. So when I interact with people in text messages in other states who are struggling with the pain of their now, I want to proclaim that God's in the business of the now. That he's not aloof, he's not silent. He hasn't turned his back, yet it may feel like it. And there may not even come a moment where we have an answer. I teach a class down the street at Vanguard University from time to time, and I challenge the students that I have in class all the time with their understanding that everything happens for a reason. I really think that's bad theology because there are things that happen in our lives that we don't always have answers for. We want that. We want that causal understanding, that cause and effect, if you will. That, oh, we, you know, well, you got that diagnosis in life, well, because you ran, ran that stop sign. Obviously, that's how God works. That's a punitive understanding of things. I was in a store this week that had... In, enormous amount of Christmas decorations. And there's that line that we always attribute to Santa. That he's watching you, which seems a little bit creepy. He's ready to put you on the nice or the naughty list, depending on how you act. And we ascribe the same understanding to God as if God is Santa Claus. And that's not true. We think that because something bad has happened to us in life, it's because we did something bad. But I cannot say to my friend who just lost her baby, oh, it's probably because it's some sin in your life. That's not how it works when it comes to God. 
But I do get to say to her, in the midst of the pain that she and her husband are feeling, that God is present in the midst of it. He is there. We don't always understand it. We always don't get the answer of why. But I get to proclaim much like Isaiah did. That even though it feels like you have turned your back on us and we have sinned beyond measure, God, you are still the potter and we are the clay. Continue to form us. Help us make sense of the moments where we don't understand. Help us in this time of Advent where we need to be reminded of some good news. So the challenge I give to you today when we come across this passage is that God is not just for the past and for the future. He's also for the now. And what is he doing in my life? What is he doing in your life? How is he shaping you differently? Because this is Advent. This is our hopeful expectancy that God will move yet again. My hope is that you will see him this Advent season in new ways, that your life will be changed, that you'll have an understanding of his presence unlike anything else. Perhaps it comes with that cup of coffee, with that piece of gum, with that movie that you pop in, with the sound of that song that you put on repeat. And it doesn't even need to have to be super cheesy. It just needs to be something to be reminded that Christ came so long ago because God never forgets his people. God always remembers, and he's always in the business of rescuing and redeeming. May you have eyes to see that this week as we begin Advent together. Let me pray for you. Lord, on this week, may we have eyes to see. May our antenna be up for what you are doing in the world around us. Wherever you will take us this week, whatever meeting that we're in, whatever gathering place that we're with others, regardless of how big or small, whether we have masks on or we don't, I pray, Lord, that we are aware of your presence. May we be challenged in this Advent season not just to live on what you have done in the past, but for what you are doing today. May you smooth out the rough places of our lives so that our souls and our hearts are able to receive you yet again when we celebrate Christmas. But God, in this Advent season, we are hoping and we are waiting. Much like Isaiah did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. That you will not turn away because you are our Father. You will not turn away because we are your people. And that is good news. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.